Welcome listeners to Out of the Box. I'm your host, Jonathan Russo. This episode will continue our series through the Marxist lens with Professor Clyde Barrow. We'll be discussing American healthcare. American healthcare has long fascinated me. I love enterprise and the dynamics of entrepreneurship, but I never understood how healthcare could be for profit. Simply put, if you deny someone a needed MRI or gallbladder operation, how could that translate into a bonus for a CEO or an increased stock price or dividend for shareholder in a healthcare company? For the life of me, I cannot understand how healthcare nonprofit CEOs make tens of millions in salaries. I need help in understanding this. So, Professor Barrow, please explain. Well, you know, healthcare is certainly an interesting topic. It's definitely one of, of the top items on, on the political agenda in the United States, once again. But what I'd like to do is just take a, a few minutes and kind of open a wide angle lens, if you may, on the Marxist lens uh, and sort of put healthcare in the context of what Marx himself discussed as part of the transition to a socialist or communist society, because it clearly was a, a very important element of his thinking. Uh, you know, there's there's a very important pamphlet that Marx wrote. It was actually a letter to Karl Liebknecht, which he wrote uh, to him in 1875 called Critique of the Gotha Program. And in that, what he does is, is criticize the first draft proposal of the German Social Democratic Party, which was formed in 1875. And of course, over 20 years became the largest, most powerful socialist party in the world. And he makes commentary and it's one of the few times he really sort of lays out his view of a blueprint for socialism or for a transition to it. And there are four very important components to his conception of socialism. The first of which is democracy. Huh. You know, he, he cautions them and says, you're fools if you think you're just going to lay hold of a capitalist state and use it as the instrument to create a socialist society. He says, so the very first thing on your political agenda needs to be the further democratization of the state. You know, the democracy that we have in a, a bourgeois republic is distorted, it's warped, it works to the benefit of the capitalist class. So you're going to have to create the political structures designed to democratize the state so the working class can actually exercise power and you can establish majority rule by the Socialist Party. So that's one piece of it. But he says, let's say that you accomplish that and that the German Social Democrats are able to wield power for a considerable period of time. Uh, what are you going to do? And this is where he starts talking about a transitional program. And he says, let's just sort of stand back and think about, he calls it the social product. We would call it the gross domestic product, in which he says, well, one of the things you're asking for is that workers should receive the full product of their labor, right? That, that instead of capitalists expropriating the lion's share of what you produce, right. you should get it for yourselves and <laughs> basically realize the promise of capitalism, that people get paid in proportion to their hard work. He says, but that doesn't mean that all of this goes right into your pocket. He says there are really three major forms uh, of expenditure and private consumption will come last. The first of those is what he calls, we would call today social investment, right? You're gonna have to implement a progressive income tax, tax away a fairly large share of this income, basically for two major projects. One is social investment. He says, we need things like insurance funds against disasters, 
against dislocations and natural calamities. He says we're going to have to invest in public enterprises. Let's say if you own the, the state owned the airlines, as they did in most countries until uh, right. the 1980s, well, you have to replace aging airplanes. You have to expand your air fleet to accommodate population growth. So the first thing we do off the top is we have to ensure that the economy continues to grow and expand and improve to maintain the standard of living. The second thing is what he calls social consumption. Uh, and this is things he says that, to quote him says, are intended for the common satisfaction of needs such as schools, health services. So he definitely saw health services as part of the common satisfaction of needs. Now, why is that important? This is the one place where Marx introduces a distinction between socialism and communism. Uh, and the distinction is based on two principles. He says, we all know the famous phrase, from each according to his ability, to each according to his needs. That, he says, is the fundamental principle of communism. It's the fundamental principle of all insurance, right? You use insurance when you need it, not based on what you pay into it. But he says there's a transitional phase from each according to his ability to each according to his produce or his labor, which is what we call socialism. Why is healthcare important? Why are public education and schools important? Because these represent transitional programs for Marx where we begin to uh, allocate larger and larger shares of our resources to the satisfaction of social needs rather than individual private consumption, which is the third part of his distribution. And as he says very explicitly, this part grows considerably in comparison with present day society, meaning that, yes, spending on education, spending on health care, spending on unemployment insurance, spending on universal basic income, these are all going to be expanding, growing programs, and as they grow, they facilitate the transition to communism with a small c, because it means that more and more of our resources are designed to satisfy our collective needs rather than allocated individual private consumption, like Jeff Bezos' new $550 million yacht. So that's where healthcare fits into it. So if you want to talk about how would Marx see healthcare through, through his lens, it would be that the purpose of healthcare should be to satisfy the basic human need to be healthy and to live a good life. And if it doesn't meet that goal, it's falling short of the Marxist conception of healthcare. Okay. That is so clear and informative. I, I didn't realize that he had such an interest in transformative states. How did America become such an outlier, though? What, what about American capitalism would Marx have commented on that we decided that this is going to be a for-profit motive. You know, as my introduction mentions, if you deny somebody some medical care, it goes to the bottom line of Aetna or Blue Cross or CVS's healthcare system and becomes a profit center. So how did that distortion emerge? Well, you almost have to look at the development of healthcare from a, from a global or at least quasi-global perspective to really understand how the United States is differentiated from other countries. Let's remember, say, if you were to go back to the late 1800s, all healthcare everywhere was more or less private. You know, there were very few doctors. Doctors primarily catered to the wealthy who could afford to pay for their services. Hospitals were underdeveloped. 
They were not places you generally wanted to end up. And that really begins to change in the 1890s in Germany because the German Social Democratic Party rose to such power and strength that the German Chancellor Otto von Bismarck decided that one way that he could undercut the growth of socialism was to offer universal health insurance to everybody in Germany. And so what he proposed and was adopted, and this is now the German single payer system, was a system where everyone would pay into a single government-owned insurance pool, and that insurance pool would then pay out to a privately owned healthcare system. So, but everybody would have access to it through their universal healthcare, whether they worked or didn't work, it didn't matter. Everybody has access to healthcare in Germany, but it is still a predominantly privately owned system. But in the single payer system, ostensibly the government has more power as a monopoly insurer to bargain for better prices on pharmaceuticals, hospital bills, and those sorts of things. So Germany spends much less than the United States on healthcare, about half as much, in return for what many would argue are much better returns in terms of healthcare outcomes. It's also a system that emphasizes prevention rather than treatment after the fact. And so that reduces costs over the long term. Canada also has a single payer system. Now what happened was following World War II, sort of as payment to the working class for having just been slaughtered on battlefields all over the world. Every advanced industrial country in the world, certainly throughout Europe, adopted some form of universal health care, whether it was single payer on the German model, which they did in Canada, outright socialized medicine, like they have in Sweden or England and Spain, which operates the healthcare system basically as a, as a public service. And in the United States, there were proposals both to socialize or to go to a single-payer system, and that was viciously blocked by the American Medical Association. And every politician in the United States learned the lesson from that day forward, that you do not oppose the American Medical Association, you do not oppose the American Hospital Association, because you will lose that battle. The result is we were the only advanced industrial democracy not to provide universal health care And so the U.S. political strategy, therefore, has been what we call incrementalism. Well, maybe we can't get universal health care, but let's do Medicare. So that was added. And then as well, why don't we all, which covers the elderly, right, over 65. Then, well, why don't we cover the poor? So we get Medicaid. And then we add prescriptions. And then we get the Affordable Care Act under Obama, sort of to gradually, piece by piece by piece, chip away at this system And of course, now we have about 40% of Americans are covered either by Medicare or Medicaid. So we have half a single payer system. But now kind of the next big step would be, are we going to do Medicare for all or chip away? Joe Biden's strategy is we'll continue down the path of incrementalism. We'll improve Obamacare. We'll expand it a little bit. But don't think we can just pass legislation to get Medicare for all. And of course, Joe Manchin won't vote for that. Well, there also seems to be a disconnect because when you speak to almost anyone who has private for profit health care, they're inevitably very dissatisfied. There's all sorts of strange billings, crazy fees, prices go up and up and up. They have to wait long times for approval for an MRI. 
Uh, they get 60, 70, 80 page bills if they if they're hospitalized, you know, itemized deductions, what is covered, what isn't covered. You would think that with this tremendous dissatisfaction in the private area, there'd be a clamor for some sort of a socialized medicine, but there isn't. Now, why would that be? Well, first, I think you are starting to see more of that as a result of COVID has really brought to right. bear the fact that, you know, there are some things government can do well. Uh, vaccinations is one of them. So I think there is increasing support for this, but they've also keep in mind that as dissatisfied as they are with their private health insurance, they have been fed a steady dose of propaganda about the failure of single payer and the failure of socialized medicine, which is complete, utter nonsense, particularly when you look at the costs and when you look at the actual healthcare outcomes the population, these systems are clearly doing better than the American system. But let me go back to my original point. Please. The American healthcare system is a for-profit system. Doctors operate as private corporations. Hospitals are private for-profit corporations. Insurance companies are private for-profit corporations, as are the pharmaceutical companies. Everybody that operates the healthcare system is in it to make a profit and profit comes first, which means it is absolutely antithetical to Marx's conception of healthcare, which is that it should exist for the satisfaction of common needs. Exactly. Common satisfaction of needs. And one of the things that differentiates government from the private sector is that government can provide public services on the basis of need. It doesn't have to make a profit. It's not driven by the profit motive. So we really face a fundamental clash of values as to what is the purpose of healthcare. Wow. Okay, I get that. Do you think that things would change if it was front and center that some of the CEOs of even nonprofit healthcare organizations make tens of millions of dollars in salaries? I believe there were some profit reports just two or three days ago that the largest healthcare providers during this pandemic made billions in net profits and returning that money to shareholders. So in essence, the capitalist class or the shareholder class are actually profiting from COVID misery. I heard a story just yesterday about a 24-year-old man here in Manhattan that got COVID and had to be hospitalized even at 24. And it was an $85,000 bill of which he had to pay $15,000 of which he doesn't have any of that. He's 24 years old, starting out student debt. But yet the organization may report hundreds of millions of dollars that, that treated him. Is there a disconnect here? Why is... Well, why absolutely. Being, Think well, about we, it this way. If your goal is to make... If, if you're in health, a healthcare operator and your goal is to make a profit, in some respects, your goal is to provide as little health care as possible that's at lower point. quality as possible in order to increase your profits. That's the basic motive. And I know even doctors, you know, will complain about that when you visit them, that, that they're being managed by the insurance companies instead of making medical decisions right. based on the needs of the patient. And so that that's the disconnect. But okay. what I would also add to this so that people often forget this is that while we talk about all the spectacular medicine that we have in the United States from pharmaceuticals to medical technology, what people often forget is that nearly all of the basic research for medical training, 
for medical research, for medical technology is funded by the federal government through the National Institutes of Health. So it's as if, you know, and this is one of the things that Biden was complaining about with the COVID, we pay the cost to generate these innovations and discoveries, and then the private companies profit off our taxpayer investment. Okay, I need to drill down and go back to what would Marx say is so clever about the capitalist system that it's got this population going along with all the abuses and the, and the oddities of paying for healthcare as a profit-making mechanism? How could this occur? Yeah. Because I still don't understand the logic of it being that we're the only country basically that operates this way. Well, I think first off, this is what Marx would call the general law of capitalist accumulation, which ah. is sort of the uh, genius of the system is almost like a virus. It manages to commodify everything that it comes into contact with <laughs> and figure out a way to convert it into a for-profit business. And so it expands out into more and more spheres of society into areas that were once thought not to be part of a for-profit economy. So it has basically converted us from what you would call a capitalist economy to a capitalist society, where everything within the social order is subject to the profit motive. Now, why do people tolerate that? That would be a long and difficult discussion, but I think I would offer two reasons. One is that there hasn't been anyone out there of any significance offering an alternative. You know, we, we haven't had a strong socialist party in this country since the 1920s. So that alternative, there's a vacuum in terms of offering alternative, but there is a massive propaganda machine yeah. constantly telling us how bad Canada is, how bad the English National Health Service is. And so it's a, basically a cost benefits analysis based on incorrect information that, well, what I have may not be great, but it's better than the alternative. Even though the reality is it's not better than the alternative, it's worse. Wow. And when I say it's worse, what I'm talking about is we spend twice as much of our gross domestic product on health care as any other advanced industrial democracy. And yet when you look at our health care outcomes, we have rates of infant mortality in our cities that are comparable to those of third world developing countries. We have COVID as a great example. We're 6% of the population. We're 20% of the deaths. We have higher rates of cancer. And I could go on and on with a list of healthcare indicators where we're paying twice as much to get very poor comparable outcomes. But there's no constituency right now really to change that. Uh, the corporations don't want to change it. The media doesn't want to see it change. And obviously, it hasn't reached a point where people really have just thrown in the towel uh, and said, you know, we have to do something else because this doesn't work for me anymore. Bernie Sanders didn't get elected. So no, in fact, I don't know if you saw the story. There was a report that got leaked out a couple of years ago where the publisher called in the reporters and made it very clear to them. He says, we may be a liberal newspaper. This was the New York Times. We may be a liberal newspaper but we are a capitalist newspaper. Basically tell them, don't go down the road here with Bernie Sanders, right? We're Joe Biden guys. So yeah, even what would be considered the quote, liberal media is nevertheless still committed to the underlying economic system. Right, okay, well you really explained, would you give us that term one more time, capital accumulation? It was the general law of capitalist accumulation. 
the general the, the capitalists are constantly seeking new opportunities for investment in order to generate more profits. And so it simply penetrates deeper and deeper into the social order so that things that were once thought sacrosanct, I mean, we could even talk about religion someday if we want to do that. <laughs> There's a for-profit industry today. Right. Well, is this, uh, that, is this that everything example, is, is turned this an into a profit-making enterprise, you know, even the most sacred institutions. Right. Well, I don't think space is a sacred institution, but it is interesting how all of a sudden space has become privatized. You know, we used to have NASA. Well, there the too, government. another great example. The, the Americans <laughs> invested tens of billions of dollars in the development of space technology, right? As part of the, the whole Apollo project and before, of course, it was part of the Cold War strategy. But this was all funded through taxpayer investment. The same with satellite technology, geopositioning technology. As soon as that technology matures and is workable, the government turns it over to the private sector and says, here, now you you make money off it, even though it's our money. It's <laughs> our investment and our political leaders are giving it away to billionaires so they can make even more money. Such are you as saying Elon with Musk is, and Jeff Bezos and their space efforts are really socialists? Uh, well, uh, there is a phrase in America, uh, socialism for the rich, yes. capitalism for everyone else. <laughs> They're, you have to admit they're pretty clever. They've got a, they've got a good gig going. You can have to agree with them. <laughs> okay. What's the future? Let's wrap it up and ask you. It does appear that more and more of the government is taking over, as you said, Medicare, Medicaid, and now Obamacare <laughs> is stepping in. It looks like it looks like the government has done you know something to fill in the gap because we just don't want to see people walking around with broken limbs or you know, cancerous sores in the middle of the street. So is is the future a continued encroachment on the private enterprise? Well, the private well you enterprise? obviously don't live in Texas, where our lieutenant governor said that we should sacrifice our grandparents to COVID so businesses yeah. could remain open. Uh, so there is very much that bare naked tooth mentality out there. I think if we look at, at the future in terms of the short term, which is what we really have to do right now, I think the most progress that you're going to get is, you know, Biden proposing some improvements and expansions to the Affordable Care Act, which would again incrementally increase the number of insured in the United States and increase the government's role in the provision of health care. But in the short term, we're certainly not going to get the Medicare for all being proposed by Bernie Sanders or Ocasio-Cortez, although I would dearly like to see it as a step forward. The truly worrisome component of this now is we have a very conservative Supreme Court that may just undo a lot of this, including the Affordable Care Act. But equally important, there's a lot of talk that Democrats might lose both the House and the Senate in the upcoming 2022 congressional elections, in which case Joe Biden won't even be able to do anything yeah. with health care except veto <laughs> you know, Republican yeah. bills designed to, to repeal it. Yeah. If they don't act in the next two years, the future is unknown. Well, yeah. the Republicans still control all the state legislatures. Oh, yeah. They're engaged now in voter yep. suppression. They'll do their gerrymandering and, and they'll be in good shape to continue minority government going into the next, next session. Right. Wow. That's certainly a couple of topics for future episodes. Okay, I'm just going to continue to be amazed when I see the profit reports from the major healthcare providers, and uh, I'm going to continue to be amazed that we're going to continue to go down this road. But that's that's the way it goes. 
Thank you very much, Professor, as usual. Clyde Barrow, The Marxist Lens. You're welcome. Listeners, thanks again for tuning in to Out of the Box with Jonathan Russo. Your input is valuable to us, and we'd really like to hear from you. Please send us an email anytime with feedback at ootbwithjrusso at gmail.com and follow us on our Twitter page, ootbwithjrusso. This has been a copyrighted production of Grapevine Incorporated. All rights reserved.